You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 280, part two of Warren G. Harding. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Whoa, 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 Ben, I just said part two of Warren G. Harding uh, a moment ago. Oops. Um, I don't know what that means. It's episode number two. That's right. And uh, our buddy, Warren G. Harding, who is still secretly doing stuff that we don't know about yet. He just got elected as the senator from Ohio. And there he is. He uh, is rocking out the polls because he's running against a Catholic person. And people were writing on their uh, fences, because that's what you did in 1914. You wrote, the menace and get the dope. It should probably be mentioned that this is around the time where the 17th Amendment to the United States Constitution had been ratified and, you know, getting into place. So this is really one of the first times where people have the right to elect senators, even though there have been some interesting stuff happening before that with primaries and everything like that. So this is one of the first elections where people actually actually elect their senators and Warren G. Harding is one of those individuals who gets to take place in that first election. Yeah. So the rest of that phrase goes, go to the polls and beat the Pope. So not only are you popularly electing the senator, you're outspoken against the Pope. Or people like, who follow the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> that case. could be a that could be a really good Both. or a really bad thing, depending on who you are. Yeah. So the guy's name was Timothy Hogan. He was the Attorney General for Ohio, and you know somehow he got in, even though a lot of Ohioans were uh, prejudiced against Roman Catholics. And go figure, the menace versus the defender, and uh, you know who the menace is, and. He wins. He's the junior senator from Ohio. I feel like there should be a song, you know, the senator. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Inside. If somebody wants to write that song and send it to us, we'd be happy to have it. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, uh, Johnny's posted some awesome things in the group about Orange E. Harding. If you're not a member of our group, it's free and there's no obligation except you have to interact with us every now and then. Um, Ooh, that's hard. But yeah, go to electioncollege.com slash group and you will be, I've, I've, I've said like you'll be ushered into the presence of us, but you won't, you'll be just in our group. <laughs> so whenever Harding gets into the Senate, 
basically, the Democrats are in control. They're in control of both houses of Congress, and President Wilson is mostly leading them around by their noses or by their ears or whatever your mom did to you. That's what he was doing. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so not only is Harding in the minority, he's also the junior senator, which Jason mentioned. And so as such, he gets a lot of unimportant assignments, you know, committees that aren't necessarily flashy, but he's dedicated to doing those well and make sure that things get done uh, in a prompt manner. So pretty much if you need him to be your conservative Republican vote, he's going to be a safe bet. Um, as such, again, people from Ohio really liked him when he was there. They also really like him when he is in on the national uh, stage. So pretty much there's two big issues that come up during his time that could have really influenced his presidential you know, potential for 1920. There's women's suffrage and there's prohibition of alcohol. And he really takes pretty nuanced positions. He says he doesn't really support votes for women until Ohio does. And he really thinks that uh, there should be no ban on alcohol. But then he does vote for the 18th Amendment. So, you know, he's kind of wishy-washy. He kind of is a... I hate... I mean, certainly you can change your mind on things, but it's like, I'll do this if it's the way the country is leading so that people like me. Yeah. So if you tow the party line, what will happen is you will become the chairman of the 1916 <laughs> Republican National Convention and deliver the keynote address. And that's exactly what he does, all the while saying, hey, we all need to get along and be united. The convention says... Sounds great, G. <laughs> and they go ahead and nominate Charles Evans Hughes as the nominee. And what does Harding do? He says, uh, okay, um, I'm going to reach out to Theodore Roosevelt because that seems like that would be a really good idea. And, um, you know, that happens and the Republicans still lose in 1916. So sometimes you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything or something like that. But what you need to know is the Republicans don't win, whatever, go G back to your Senate seat and uh, do some stuff there. And that's exactly what he does. He is like, okay, um, Wilson, you are really running the country and uh, it seems like you should take us into war now. I guess I will go along with that. And that's exactly what he does. The only thing that he really resists the president on, well, President Wilson, that is, is expanding the president's powers. But that doesn't seem to worry Wilson too much. He's like, whatever, I got this pen. I'm going to sign myself some new rules and uh, orders. And it doesn't matter what the senators say. Right. So... Remember that all the progressives are pretty much back to the Republican Party at this point, right before 1920 is coming along, the election of 1920. And everybody's kind of like, rah, rah, Roosevelt, we're going to get Teddy back in here, even though he doesn't like the name Teddy, but we're going to call him that anyway. That was from me, not everybody else. And then Theodore Roosevelt passes away on January 6th of 1919. So you can imagine the, the front runner for the nomination is dead now. Tons of people come forward saying that they are going to run for president. Well, Harding is like, he's conflicted because he really wants to be president, but he also really likes being in control of the politics in 
Ohio, especially on the Republican side. And so because of that, he runs uh, for his seat again, or at least he thinks about running for his seat again, but not before he makes a announcement, an announcement of his candidacy for the presidency. Now, there are some people who certainly dislike the other uh, the other individuals in that are running for the presidency. And there are some people who don't like Harding as much either because they know he's kind of a yes man. And it doesn't matter because he takes up this campaign and he really just starts writing like a billion letters. He starts getting out there talking to people who are uh, really interested in hearing from him. And... Well, you can just imagine, he spends a ton of time in Ohio because they already know him, they already like him, and they are loyal to him to the max. Yeah, and he takes this mantra of, like, I'm a uniter, not a divider, all the way to the 1920 Republican National Convention. And all these delegates who were divided really unite behind the guy. And somehow... (laughs) uh, in the smoke-filled rooms that were located at every convention, right? That's you, you know that there's a smoke-filled room every single Definitely. convention. They actually bring in smoke machines just to make sure there's at least one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Warren Harding, he's like oh, considered the nominee, the Republican nominee. And there he is in all of his splendor. Uh, Calvin Coolidge is like, okay, whatever. I'll go along with this guy because who knows, he might die someday and I want to be president. So no, that's not what happens. That'd be pretty morbid thought of why you would be somebody's running mate, but that's what happens, right? Harding, Coolidge, they run and the New York world is like, Hey, Harding is the least qualified candidate since James Buchanan to run for president. And they might have been right. So, you know, the Democrats, they get together. Our buddy, William G. McAdoo, he uh, decides that he's going to put his hat in the ring. I, I'm just throwing that in because McAdoo's a fun name to say. True. And uh, Harding's like, hey, you remember the guy from Ohio, McKinley, who ran for president sitting on his porch? I'm going to try that. And the Democrats are like, you know what? We need to get somebody who really knows how to run against Harding. So we're going to get Governor Cox from Ohio uh, to run against him. And Harding's like, okay, great. What am I going to do? Well, what do you do? You say, I want to, quote, return to normalcy because that's what Americans want to do, right, after the war. And that's exactly what happens. And, well, you know what happens next. Harding paints the country red. Jason, I've always found it interesting that during Harding's campaign, he actually kind of takes the McKinley approach where he stays at home on his front porch and lets people come to him to talk to them. He does send out some people to do different speeches, and of course he does make a few appearances, but he even had his front porch remodeled uh, to look similar to President McKinley's, which who knows if that's uh, on purpose or not, but at any rate, he takes that kind of an approach to campaigning, and you're right. He wins. He destroys. Uh, pretty much, he gets the entire country except for like the the southeast, uh, which is you know a lot of Democratic stronghold at that time. Yeah. Did we do an episode on Cox? Um, we talked about him. 
Great question. I don't remember. We've done almost 300 of these things now, Jason. It's hard to remember. Man, that guy had some influence on our country. We had to have. I think we did. I know we talked about him when we talked about Eugene Debs. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I don't remember if we did a whole episode. We'll, we'll look back in the archives, or you can let us know out there, because we'll forget by the time we're done recording this, and let us know if we did, if we did in fact, do an episode. And if you want us to do one... We'll do it better this time. Just tell us, I guess. Oh. We're always looking for stuff to talk about, right? Yeah. Anyway, Harding wins. He destroys Cox. <laughs> and, you know, he's president now. There he is, sworn in in March of 1921. His wife and dad are there. He's like, I'm not going to have a parade. Let's just do the swearing-in ceremony. We'll have a reception at the White House. And he says, quote, our most dangerous tendency is to expect too much from the government and at the same time, too little for it, which sounds like you could go either way. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do when you get elected president? You go on vacation and uh, he decides to chill out for a while. Uh, He goes and plays golf in Texas and then he goes to the Panama Canal and then he goes back to Washington and everybody's like, rah, rah, president-elect Harding, you're awesome. We don't really know what you stand for, but you're great. And Harding goes ahead and, you know, gets a bunch of Republicans to um, unite and become members of his cabinet. He calls up his buddy, Andrew Mellon, you know, the rich guy from Pittsburgh. He says, hey, come on over, be my treasury guy. And he appoints Herbert Hoover as the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. So all kinds of smart people who may not necessarily have a history of Washington politics. Harding's kind of the guy who is going to um, bring in all these different factions of the Republican Party under, you know, this big tent. Jason, I find it really humorous that Harding is like, all right, everybody, you know, it's a real problem that you expect too much from the government. And to prove to you that you shouldn't, I'm going on vacation and I'll be back in a month. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Granted, he wasn't in office yet, but still, it's just kind of a funny, symbolic thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. And like, how long does it take to get to the Panama Canal in 1921 or 1920? I don't know. Somebody can look it up. Uh, but So at this point, Harding takes office, and the foreign governments just start calling and saying, hey, so you you like owe us a bunch of money because of this war and all the, the debt you have, and the U.S. is like, meh, we'll get to it. Let me call up my, uh, let me call up my buddy Mellon and see if he has any ideas. We'll negotiate it out. And so that, of course, is taking up a good bit of their time. And, you know, this is we're getting close to the uh, kind of the boom of our economic structure right before a big decline. Of course, that's a little bit of a spoiler for a few episodes from now. But this is uh, certainly in the forefront of everybody's minds as he is just new into office. Uh, There's also the idea that Harding is saying basically look, we need to disarm everybody and we need to lower our defense costs during this war or after the war is over. This is one of the things he runs on. 
But in his first year in the presidency, he doesn't bring it up a whole lot. He does mention it once to Congress in April of that first year he's in uh, when he's setting up his priorities. But everybody kind of just laughs at it or kind of turns their heads a little bit, I guess you could say. So, of course, there's all the things that he's he's there on the end of World War One. Uh, he's there at the unknown soldier of World War One uh, during the entombment there. And he's got a lot of things that are kind of occupying his time, wrapping up this war and everything that's been going on for a few years, which, of course, remember, he helped vote to start. Yeah. So one of the ways this really plays out, because, you know, you got to figure out what we're going to do economically. And the issue of tax cuts comes up, because if you're a Republican, right, you like fewer taxes, you know, read my lips and all of that. Well, Harding talks to Mellon, who's like, yes, let's do it. Cut those taxes. And then he's talking to other people who are like, no, don't cut the taxes. The government needs the money. And he says, quote, I can't make a edit darn thing out of this tax problem. I listen to one side and they seem right. And then, Lord, (laughs) I talk to the other side and they seem just as right. So... Harding is in a little bit of a hard position. Um, but the good thing about this time is, you know, you got the advent of radio coming about. You got um, the highway system. He signs the Federal Highway Act of 1921. And get this, the federal government's like 162 smackers, 162 million smackers. We're going to unload that on the country to build a highway system. And this is really good. And you got the aviation industry really starting to come to be mainstream. Um, So Harding's like, yes, let's fly. (laughs) Let's build airports. Let's get out there and do stuff. Um, But then you've got issues of, well, what do you do about mining and the railroads? You got strikes going on. Um, The the concept of an eight-hour workday. Um, that was a relatively new, not invention, but a new thing to do. And, you know, there's a period of adjustment going on. So, uh, you got all that going on. You've got some civil rights things going on, uh, lynching in the South and so on. Um, you've got, uh, people, uh, pushing down minorities, uh, whether officially or unofficially and Harding does come out and say, you know what, let's, uh, let's speak out against, uh, lynching. Let's, uh, do some things so the African American community can prosper. It doesn't necessarily work out that way all the time, but you know, he's making some strides. There had also been some talks whenever Harding was running in, in that same April address to Congress that we mentioned earlier, where he was speaking out against lynching, which, seems pretty obvious, but he was speaking out against lynching and even supported a bill, uh, the the Leonidas Dyer's Federal Anti-Lynching Bill, which of course it did pass the House of Representatives. It did not uh, get there when it was at the Senate. It was filibustered by Southern Democrats and they actually withdrew it so as to allow some other things to go and pass through. Uh, There were also some different 
issues with immigration and um, there were a, there was an act that was put through to reduce the number of immigrants to 3% of those from a given country living in the U.S. And they based this on the previous census and stuff like that. And so it restricts some people. It doesn't restrict others just because of those pure numbers. Um, they let some immigrants stay and then they shipped a bunch of them out. Uh, but in 1924, Calvin Coolidge actually kind of wrapped this up and signed a bill that would really restrict immigration to the U.S., which is a lot of what we know now. Um, we mentioned Eugene Debs earlier. He is in prison for uh, all the crazy antics. We have a whole episode about Eugene Debs a while back. We have a whole episode about that that you can hear why he was in prison. But Woodrow Wilson says he's not going to pardon him. And that's before, of course, Harding gets in. But he doesn't really feel like he can let him out until the, the treaties are signed uh, because of all the outspokenness he had had against this war. Well, the peace treaties get signed. He commutes Debs' sentence, and Debs comes to visit the president before he goes home. Uh, Harding had also released a bunch of other people, war criminals or opponents or a mix of the two, during that same time. Um, but just kind of an interesting dynamic where, you know, worlds collide. Eugene Debs is in prison and Harding wants to release him, but he can't because it looks bad. And yeah, just politics are a messy game. Yeah. And things are messy, but Harding is getting some things done. He gets four justices approved for the Supreme court and, you know, he's rather well liked. Of course, the midterm elections are coming up in 1922. And what happens? Shocker. This is a, a shocker alert here. A lot of times when there's a midterm election, Congress sways the other way. It just happens. Those kind of yeah. things that nothing, nothing shocks election college people, right? That's right. So, yeah. I mean, the Republicans, they lose some ground in Congress, but... Why not? It's the midterms and that happens. So you got the midterm elections are over and it's 1923 and Harding is like, you know what? I'm going to do the good political thing. I'm going to go on a quote voyage of understanding. And that voyage of understanding ends up not going probably the way anyone would have planned. Not only that, but it's about to get juicy and saucy. <laughs> And that is where we're going to take you to the edge of the cliff and leave you for a week. Wow, Jason, you're just, you're harsh, man. It's right there. We're on the precipice of something horrible, but then something fascinating. It's a train wreck. Hey, you know what else is a train wreck? The fact that you're not going to electioncollege.com slash Amazon. Guys, that is seriously it's so helpful. And those of you who do, we thank you for that. But if you go over to electioncollege.com slash Amazon to do all of your shopping that you normally do on Amazon, you will pay the exact same price you normally would. And we'll get a little percent of that. So if you are buying like paper towels, or maybe you're buying history books, or maybe you're buying like vacations, I don't know, whatever you buy on Amazon, literally anything. If you go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon before you do it, like I said, you'll pay the same price. We'll get a small little piece of that, and that's super helpful. Yeah, and if you're out there taking a voyage of understanding and you're wanting to post pictures on social media, because that's what you do nowadays, uh, go ahead, hit us up. 
at Election College on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. But moreover, join the group at electioncollege.com slash group. You will be taken to Facebook. And, uh, you know, we ask you a couple of questions, but we'll let you in if you're cool. As always, we really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That helps us out. You guys are really faithful and dedicated to doing that. Do it more. Uh, We appreciate that. And I guess we'll talk to you next time when we uh, wrap up the Harding episodes. Yeah, it's like um, the adult version of the kiddie table next week. Oh, I'm I'm intrigued. See you then. (laughs) This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.